Good morning. It's great to see all of you here at Crosstown. Uh, you know, uh, last night, I, uh, I don't know if, how well you guys sleep, but I don't sleep real well these days. And uh, so it was about three o'clock, maybe two o'clock in the morning, I got up and I decided to go out my backyard and, and uh, just kind of look up. And so I'm the guy you don't want to be shooting at if you live near me. Please don't shoot me. I'm out there in my pajamas. But I just walked out and I looked and I was just blown away on how many stars. And you could see the, I mean, you could see the Milky Way. It was, I mean, it's the kind of thing you see in Wyoming, you know, out in the middle of the plains. It was a beautiful shot. But it, this was equal to it in every way. So I did what a good husband would do at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning is I woke up my wife. And I said, you, you need to come see the stars. They're absolutely beautiful. And while I was looking up at them, I remembered that the reason why the stars are looking so amazing is that a hurricane just passed through and sucked out all the bad weather and sucked out all the humidity and the clarity that we're having is coming as an expense of somebody else's hardship. And, and so this morning, I just want us to pray as the sun's coming up over the panhandle and they're beginning to look at their lives a week later and trying to put it all together. Some of them have been told that they won't be able to move back into their houses for two years that there are some power issues that, that won't get fixed for a while. Um, it, it's interesting that I just watched the storm on the news and really didn't pay it much attention because it wasn't going to hit me. And it kind of was out of mind. But I think God wants us as, as his kids to remember those who are in hardship. And, and you helped the people of North Carolina. We sent up our care packages from our Family Fun Day. We sent them up last week. They received those 100 packages to give out to people who didn't have the uh, bare necessities of life, and you helped provide them. We're gonna be looking to help another church down in the panhandle. And you may be asking, well, why are you always helping churches? Why don't you just help people? And the reason why is, is the reason why there's nonprofit organizations in the United States is because the government figured out that if, if we have organizations that are about helping people, let's not tax them as bad because otherwise the government will have to do the social work in order for that. And it's much cheaper for the government to allow nonprofits to exist. So one of the things, if you find a missional church in an area, that if we help that one church, they can help 100 to 1,000 people more than we can by just targeting one individual. So we'll be looking for that church in the panhandle um, that we'll be helping, and I'll let you know about that coming next week. But let's go, let's go to the Lord today and, and just pray for them. Father, we just thank you for your love, and, and Lord God, we know that all goodness comes from you, even in the hard days. And we pray, Lord God, that your goodness would be visited on the people who have lost everything. We pray that you would encourage their soul today, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them hope beyond what they can see with their own eyes, and that today that they would know that you are very near them and that they are not alone. We ask that your peace would rest upon them. And I pray, Lord God, that you will guide our steps um, in, the, in the comfort that we are enjoying in this moment. We pray, Lord God, that you would show us how we can help those who are discomforted. We thank you for your love and your grace, and we ask that your presence be upon them today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you today. Start kicking off a new series called Inside Out. Now, let me just tell you, sometimes when I go through figuring out what I'm going to talk about, there are some times when God divinely inspires you know, an idea, and, and those happen quite often. And, 
Then there are things that pastors talk about, like a curriculum that, you know, hey, you know, I haven't talked about money lately, or I haven't talked about this lately, or, um, and, and, and then there's times when you begin to look at your church, and you begin to say, well, you know, well, what do those weirdos need? You know, I mean, what are those people out there? What, they're kind of whacked, you know? What, what, you know, what do I got to, what do those folks need out there? And, um, well, th as I began to look at this one, I realized that it, it, it I'm the whacked one. I'm the weirdo one. I began to, the more and more, as I began to put this together, I, I began to see that God was talking to me. And um, the reason why it became a series is because I believe that most of the things that are wrong with me are, they might be wrong with you. I mean, kind of the, the sickness that I have in my own personal life as a human being, that you probably have gotten that sickness, except for maybe that one thing I picked up in the 1970s. You maybe didn't pick that one up, but there are, for the most part, most of us kind of experience the same kind of life experiences, and we have the same kind of difficulties. And so in this series, God's really talking to me. And I think maybe through what he's saying to this weirdo, that maybe it will speak to a little bit of the things that you go through in your own personal lives. Philippians is a, a great little uh, book written to us to help us in in challenging times. And it wants to challenge an idea that a lot of us have about happiness and about joy. Because a lot of times we think they're synonymous, but nothing could be further from the truth of these two ideas, but we don't even know the difference between these two concepts. The book of Philippians was penned by a guy who was, at the moment that he was writing it, he was writing it from a place of difficulty and hardship. Paul was confined to a Roman prison and he was in a dungeon so it was probably maybe underground and stuff like that he was beaten regularly he was also it wasn't like one of our kinds of jails he was actually shackled to a guard so there was no private life for him there wasn't like he could find some quiet space in his prison cell where he could be alone with the lord but he was always with somebody somebody was always changed to him and the reason why he was there was because he preached the resurrection of the dead and he also preached the good news of of Christ so that's how he ends up there and he's waiting his execution to take place you know and that's an interesting thing he's waiting for his execution to take place I don't know if you've ever been in the place where you went to the doctor they found something and so they do a procedure like a biopsy and they send it off to pathology and you're told you got to wait 7 to 14 days before they find out the results of it and you maybe have felt that feeling you get during that time, that tentative feeling that you have of you're not exactly sure how this is going to turn out and what, what your future is going to be like. Well, for the Apostle Paul, the biopsy had been done and it had been sent off to pathology. Um, Rome was going to have him killed. There was no doubt about it. He was, he was not getting out of this. So in his cell, he knew what his sentence was. But while he waited execution, he not only found purpose and meaning for the circumstances he was experiencing, he demonstrated this incredible faithfulness about him. There was this attitude of unshakable joy. And, and I think that's what God's talking to me about personally in my life. I, I think I'm a circumstantial person. I'm a person that is happy when things go happy, and, and when things go sad or they go bad, I tend to get really ticked about it and upset and, and kind of pout or maybe begins to affect me. And, 
And so I think looking at, at Paul, he begins to show us how to go through times when things aren't the way that we want them to be, but yet what comes out of our lives, kind of living inside out instead of letting the outside determine how my life is. Now, you don't have to be in a prison to experience this. You could look at the landscape of American politics or our social issues, and you may find yourself imprisoned in a wondering of what's going on, what's next, what's going to take place, I'm afraid, or I feel that you know, there's an uncertainty about life. It can happen in your marriage, it can happen in your, in your career, that you get to this place where you're not exactly sure what's going to take place over the next couple days or years of your life. So Paul had started this church about 10 years earlier, and he's writing to help them have joy in, no, in whatever circumstance that they face. And it's interesting that he mentions joy 16 times in this little book. Now, the book is only, it's not like a big thesis on the origin of the Christian faith. It's just a little, like, email with four little breaks in it. And uh, it's an email where he's just talking to him, and he's trying to encourage him a little bit. But 16 times the word joy or rejoice pops up. Now, I don't know if you get long emails. I do get some, I do get some quite uh, long emails. But if you ever got an email from a family member or somebody that knows you and wants to convey something to you, if you saw the same word, and not just words like the, you know, is kind of words, but rather attitude words. If you saw repeated over and over again in one email, one word beginning to pop up over and over again, you're beginning to find out what this person is really trying to communicate, though you may not understand all the other, uh, you know, individual elements of the book or the email, but you'd say, wow. And then for the Apostle Paul, as you're reading over, the word joy keeps popping up. And then the word rejoice pops up, and then the word joy, joy, 16 times in this short little book, this idea begins to, to come. He's actually writing the book from prison, and he knows he's going to be executed, but yet this word joy keeps popping up in the theme of everything. So hearing Paul's heart and attitude is really important for us to learn. It's important for me to learn. Again, I'm, I'm the weirdo in the room on this issue, because you would think you would think I would know better. I mean, I get paid to know better. I'm a pastor, I'm a professional saint. You know, I am supposed to know all this stuff, but I'm finding out that I don't know this stuff as, as much as I really should personally. And it's not until you experience adversity that you find out whether or not your Christian faith is theoretical, or if it's practical, or if it's actual. You know, I have really good thoughts about God. I have good theory in my mind about why God exists, why God would send his son to the world. I've got some pretty, I think I've got that pretty well figured out, the, the algorithm of God and why he would do all the other things and from a theoretical standpoint. But it seems that in adversity that is when it really becomes, do you own this thing? And it seems the difference between having theoretical and a practical or actual is, seems to be the difference between the word happiness and the word joy. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to us about our times when we find ourselves hopeless in situations we can't get out of because he can't, he's not getting out of this situation. I also want you to see that in this little letter that he writes, not once does he ask everybody to pray for me. Get me the heck out of here. 
Things are going rotten, and you know, just get me out of here. You're not even going to see that emerge. But let me, let me let you hear what the Apostle Paul writes to this church. In Philippians 1.3, he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. It's like, oh my goodness, I thank God in my remembrance of someone else. When I get in difficult situations, guess who I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about me. I mean, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about how hard things are going to impact my life, not how hard things are going to impact your life. And here's the Apostle Paul. He's not complaining. He says, ah, I just want to let you know, guys, sitting here in my prison, about to be executed, I thank God. And I don't just thank God. I thank God about you. You make me happy. I thank God, I thank God for what's going on in your life. And he continues, he says, I thank God, remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I thank God. I mean, just listen to this triad of things that he says. I thank God. I pray with joy. I am confident. You know, one thing that I've learned about hardships in life is that they really reveal the nature of your heart. They, they also, they reveal something about your maturity as a follower in God. And, and when I hear this from Paul, it's like, this is what's supposed to be front and center in my life. Um, not counting how much money did we lose in the last flood and how much money do we make over here and, and how many people came on Sunday and how many people did this and, you know, what about my house? What about my career? What about my job? What about my body? But the Apostle Paul's starting this whole thing out and he's saying, I thank God. I pray with joy. I am confident. And I gotta be honest with you folks. I'm not there. But God wants me there. He wants all of us there. He wants us to be this place where that becomes like this, this, this confidence, this mindset that we have in our head. And he said, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. Why is he confident? I mean, how can he say, I am confident God's going to perfect a good work in you? Because in all of his difficulty, he believes God's doing that in him. You can only export what, you've, what you produce in your own life. You can tell other people to believe, and you can tell people to be happy, and you can tell people to have joy, but if you don't have it, you can't export it. It just falls out of your mouth, and it falls to the ground. But here he is sitting in prison with an execution um, sentence against his life, and he can look at it right in the face and say, listen, what? I thank God, I pray with joy, and I'm confident God's up to something in my life. And I'm confident that God's up to something in your life. And I think God wants us to have this unstoppable inside out. And all this is coming from a guy who's not preaching from a stage with air conditioning from a building that only floods like once a, once a year. But I mean, this is, this is a guy who's preaching from prison. And, and the reason why this really I kind of got brought to my mind was over the last two to three months, there's been a lot of political things that have happened, and then surrounding the Supreme Court appointment, and then watching those kind of last moments, and then watching the response on television of people. And whether you're on what side you're on, it really doesn't matter. 
but I was just watching how, how physically and emotionally altered about the future people were impacted. And it's like, God, are we really supposed to be subject to that kind of uh, winds of change? Are we, are we supposed to be that so externally driven that by the events, and, and not only events that are happening, but then events that are happening even over there. But the Apostle Paul was living inside out. So this was the journey that we're going to take together. It's, it's how to do this. And I want you to take a quick notice that this journey doesn't include one of the things that we as Americans are dead set on encountering in our lives, in our journey. And all that I, pr- I thank God, I pray with joy, I am confident. The word happiness doesn't pop up at all. That's not the word that, uh, that shows up 16 times. But I'm willing to bet that more than 16 times a day, you and I are in pursuit of it. I want to be happy. You know, I-, I want things to go great. But happiness is external. Happiness shows up when everything works out in your life. When the skies are blue, when you're throwing a party or a picnic, when your team wins, you know, that's, that's, that's when things get happy. And um, I'm a big team guy. I love it when my team wins. Matter of fact, I just need to show you this. Um, I am, I'm wearing my New England Patriots shoes here. It says New England Patriots on the uh, laces. It says it on the tongue. It says it on the back. And it says it in my heart. I'm living inside out. But here's the thing, tonight at 8.30, they're going to play the undefeated Kansas City Chiefs. Now, what you're going to see in my household is you're going to see a lot of sadness or a lot of happiness. But it's all going to be determined by the external things of the world that are going to determine my reaction. The problem is, is when your heart is driven by the same things. When what's going on externally begins to drive your life. Because life doesn't always roll with happiness. But joy seems to be internal. Um, It doesn't seem to end when the happiness ends. You know, when you get to the bottle of happiness, joy seems to still be around. Joy doesn't require the world and others to live up to my expectations. Somebody with, with happiness has a high demand. I mean, their budget is, is, is gotta be enormous. Because, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm a guy for a lot of my life, I'm driven by happiness. When my car doesn't make me happy, I get rid of it and I buy a new one. And it will make me happy for about six to seven months and then I buy another one. And then when I don't like that, thank God I don't approach my wife the same way. But happiness, ha- happiness costs. And, and it costs you people. Because if you want to be happy, you married that, that, that girl that you're next to because you might have thought she could make me happy. Well, what happens when she can't make you happy anymore? You might have married that guy because that he was going to keep you happy all your life. Well, what happens when, when he can't keep, keep you happy? The number one opposition to the existence of God is not science. It's not. There are no scientific ideas that disprove the existence of God. What overthrows the concept of God in most people's lives 
is that God doesn't seem to deliver the happiness I would expect a deity to provide. And I'm here to tell you, he never promised it. But we think, wow, why, if, if God's good, then why am I so miserable? If God's good, why are we having such difficulty? If God's good, why are there hurricanes? Why am I having times where I'm not happy in my life? And as a result of it, we'll jettison God, we'll jettison a spouse, we'll jettison an, an idea, we'll jettison life because we can't seem to find happiness. See, remember, this letter is being written to us by someone who's earned the right to be listened to by someone who's got the right to write the letter. Now, you can blow me off. I, I have no doubt that you can do that. Um, but you can blow me off because maybe I haven't had the experiences that you've had. I've had some difficulty, you know. Um, you know, I, I've been divorced and uh, dealt with substance abuse in my life. Uh, didn't come from a totally happy family and, and uh, deal with some health issues on and off and, you know, I've had some surgeries and things like that. But maybe compared to the experiences that you've had, the disappointments that you have, I really don't measure up. And so you could pretty much just write me off and say, well, yeah, dude, but you really haven't had a hard life. Um, but here's the thing. You can't, you can't blow Paul off. Um, it would be really tough for you to outweigh Paul's difficulties enough for you to say, well, yeah, I hear you, but you don't know what I've gone through. Paul had a right to write this letter, and not just because he was an apostle, but because he's been there. He's not writing this letter from some hipster coffee shop while he's blogging, you know, and tweeting out the latest thought that comes to his mind, okay? I mean, there's a lot of difference between him and me. I mean, so this is not coming from the convenience of life. He's, He's not writing after completing a planned tour of Europe to spread the gospel to sold-out coliseums. Matter of fact, other than arriving in Rome, which he was pretty certain he was going to arrive in Rome, I mean, he thought that was going to happen, nothing has really worked out the way Paul thought it was going to work out. And I really believe it's when things don't work out the way that we think they're going to work out or they're supposed to work out or the great deity of the universe is supposed to work them out for us, that's when we begin to find out the difference between do we have happiness in our lives or do we have joy in our lives? See, his ministry started with, with a really cool idea. I mean, when he got saved as a young man, when, when God kind of pulled him aside and God spoke over him and you know, inaugurated his ministry, it was, it was going to sound really cool. Listen to it. It comes out of Acts 22. This is what was said over Paul's life when he's starting his kind of his journey as a follower of Jesus. The God of our fathers has appointed you, Paul, to know his will, to see the righteous one, to actually see Jesus, and to hear a voice from his mouth for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and what you have heard. I'd be like, hot dang, wow. I'm gonna, so what you're telling me is, I'm going to see Jesus. I mean, he's going to appear to me uh, in a vision. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. And so, wait, 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 so dude, you're blowing my mind now. Tell me, so I'm going to hear his voice. 
yeah, he's going to tell you things that he you know, hasn't told everybody, and he's going to share with you some of the things that want to happen. And here's the thing, Paul. You're going to hear him. You've got to remember him now. And then your job is going to be just to kind of share him. And then when you share him, the, the whole Western world is going to be redefined by what you say. And, and people are going to be reading your stuff for years. Man, they're going to be downloading your material, and you don't even know what downloading is. But they're going to be doing it. I can imagine, you know, hearing all that and like, dang, this is going to be good. Going to get me a jet, going to get me a boat, going to get me, you know, I'm going to travel and be famous. I'll be at Barnes and Noble and, you know, I'm going to be signing books and this is going to be a great thing. This is going to be awesome. But, but that's not what happens. See, and, and all of us go into life with this kind of expectation about what life is going to be. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's no sin in that. We walk into life. But the problem is, is what happens to that, that disparity between what, we're, what we thought we were going to have and what we end up with and what we think we're entitled to, whether as a nation or as a people or as an individual or as a, a divine a person of a child of God and what we really experience. And in between there, guess what we find out? We really find out what we are. We find out what we believe. We find out whether or not we're living outside in or we're living inside out. So now I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul as he talks about these incredible events that took place after he was inaugurated as, as the Apostle to the Gentiles. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 39 lashes. He was beaten 39 times. So in, on, in these journeys, I mean, Christ was, was also 39 times was beaten. But Paul says, you know what? I, I got that like five times. So about the time it was healing, I, I got it again. And then by the time it was healing, I got it again. Then there were those three times I was beaten with rods. I guess if you've been beaten with something, you maybe then begin to notice the difference in the materials you've been beaten with. You know, I mean, I would have thought it would have been enough to just mention you had been beaten, but apparently getting beaten with rods is even something different. Once I was stoned, three days I was shipwrecked. I mean... Like, I'm not taking his, this guy fishing with me. Three times I've been shipwrecked. Um, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. And he doesn't even mention this. I think this is incredible. He doesn't even mention it. One of those times, they swim to, swim to shore, get on an island, and they take all the wood from the ship that kind of drifted up on the side. They pile it up. And he begins to build a fire because he wants to keep the folks warm. And while he's building this fire, a viper, a poisonous viper comes out, bites him on the arm. And, uh, you know, he has to shake it off into the fire. He doesn't even mention that. Folks, if I'm getting bit by a snake, I'm blogging that son of a gun. I I'm putting that on Twitter. I'm putting that on, on Facebook. I'm slap-checking that thing. Whatever they, I'm every social media thing possible, I'm putting out there about how bad my life is because I just got bit by a viper. And this guy, he's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's not that. Yeah, I've been, I've been bit by a snake before. I didn't even mention it. I'm sorry. On frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger of robbers, dangers of my own people. I mean, even his own, his people, his folks his family, his friends, kind of would turn on him. 
danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there's the daily pressure of, uh, on me of my anxiety of doing my job and the churches that I started and the people I love. I mean, so on top of the all the other stuff that happens, there's this other stuff that I'm really concerned about people. And I love the way that he continues. He says, who is weak? Who has a right to complain? Is it not me? I think I have something to complain about. Is it, who's weak? Who's been beat down? I think I have been weak. He considers, he says, who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? I mean, isn't it not ridiculous what I've been through? I mean, here's this guy, me referring to me, he's chuckling at all the crazy things I've got. I mean, that's how indignant my life is. It's like, wow. See, Paul has earned the right to talk to people who are, who are all jarred up in fear, in disappointment, in anger. People like us. People are wondering how it's gonna work out, whether it's our marriage, the MRI, or the Supreme Court, or whatever it may be in the world around us. And what really blows me away about Paul is his math. He obviously wasn't really good at math. And the reason why is because if I was to start to add this all up, this is why the word, and please excuse me, but it's, this is why the word sucks was invented. Because you begin to add up all these things, you begin to come to the conclusion, my life sucks. That's how my math goes. You know, that's how, you know, you get a couple things, you know, this doesn't feel right, the church is flooding a little bit, this family decided to go to another church, um, looks like we might have termites over here, uh, grass needs to be cut, yeah, man, this, this isn't really going the way that I thought it would go. I thought life would be so much more awesome. And I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm blown away by his math because when he adds it up, here, here's, here's, he adds it all up, and here's what his answer. 2 Corinthians 14. So, we do not lose heart. <laughs> what? Dude, you know, this plus this plus this. Put the line there, and you come up with, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So he knows what's happening. He knows what's going on. He, he has an inward dynamic, and he realizes he has an outward dynamic. So we're not talking to somebody that's not thinking. If your inward dynamic is the same as your outward dynamic, then you're dying a slow death and you're in trouble. He realized his outward dynamic was this and he realized his inward dynamic was something different. What we want in America is we want our internal, our external dynamic and our internal dynamic to be the same. See, this is like how I think in my life, and this is where I'm a little bit messed up, is I'm beginning to look at life, and I really only have two options. At just about 60 years of age, I only have about two, I, I have only two options. I'm still holding on to the idea that there's a third one, 
But I'm either going to grow old, option one, which means, you know, things hurt, things stop working, things, you know, um, or I'm going to die. Those are the only two options. That's, that's really my option. But in my mind, I'm, I'm disappointed with God or I'm disappointed with life because I'm still not 30. I want to feel 30 again. And that's why we come up with this bozo crap called, well, 60's the new 30 or 60 the new 40. That's just kind of a little lie that we're trying to sell you if you get nipped and tucked enough so that you don't have to face the external reality that the second law of thermodynamics is in play and you're decaying and you only have two options. You either get old or you die. And I'll be honest with you, that's been paralyzing me lately. You know, like, you didn't know that was going to happen? Let me just tell you, if you're 30 here today, you can't even imagine 60. You can't. You can't imagine what it's like to, to be in a place where you know that you could very well be dead in 15 years. I, I'm like, not me. Not me. I mean, I spent all this time in the gym. Not, it's not going to happen to me. Maybe everybody else's, all the other 80-year-olds are going to die 80 years old. But when I die, I'm going to be 80 and I'm going to be 30 at the same time. No, that's not the option, Paul. Though outward, you know, you can be renewed inside day by day and you can focus on that. Or you could spend the rest of your life focused on how much you're decaying. And standing in front of the mirror looking how bad you look. And beginning to worry about that. Or worrying about how bad the United States is. And worrying about where we were and where we are today. And all of it's going to hell in a handbasket. Now you could spend the rest of your day wondering what the Republicans or the Democrats are going to do to this planet. Or you can be renewed day by day. With an inside out perspective. You know, and, it's, and God's really, he's offering this to us. And the Apostle Paul is like, do I have a right to complain? Yes. Am I weak? Absolutely. Should I be indignant? Definitely. Am I? I don't lose heart. Because I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete that work until the day of Jesus Christ. That's absolutely incredible. For this light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory and beyond all comparison. Wow. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are tr- transient. But the things that are unseen, they're the things that really last. They're eternal. Paul weighs things differently. Paul, Paul sees difficulties and what they do for him differently than I see them. I see them as robbing me of life. Stupid building, stupid flood, stupid city, you know? When are they gonna fix it? What? Five years, 10 years? Well, then I'm not gonna be happy till then. Well, you could build somewhere else. Well, when will the land become available? It'll be available between three to five years. I'll be 65 years old. I'll be nearly dead. I know only the 65 years and older can laugh on that one. I can just choose to continue to evaluate my life based upon the external things that are going on in my life, but the Apostle Paul doesn't. You know, God gave me a little way of looking at this, is that, you know, when you buy a house, 
How many of us walk into a house that the real estate agent's showing you, and, and I've done real estate before, so I've walked people into a house before, and you open up the door, and you unlock, and they walk in, and they walk in and go like, oh, wow, okay, all right. How many of you from the foyer decided not to build the, buy the house? Oh, this foyer stinks. Uh, uh, no, I don't like the foyer. It's not it. Okay, show me another house. But what you normally do is you, you'll walk into the living room, see how it's laid out. You'll begin to walk through the kitchen, begin to see, oh, they got a nice little stove over there. Oh, is it gas? It's gas. Oh, I like gas. I, do, I can burn gas. Um, and so uh, they got a nice refrigerator to see where the laundry room is. You look in the garage. Wow, I can get the boat in the garage. And, and then you go upstairs and you look around and say, oh, look at that. It's a garden tub. Nobody really uses them, but it's a garden tub, you know. You know. And, and then it's like, oh, I love the tile work and the little thing they did around the top. And then you come down, you know, and you begin to investigate all the house and you realize how grand and beautiful the house is. You open up the back doors and look and you see, oh, I can see, I can see the water. I can see, you know, whatever taking place out there. And it's amazing. But you know what? Most of us, when we're working on happiness only, we step into the foyer of life and we don't go any further. And when we decide whether or not life is good or not based upon the foyer. So what we decide to do is I, I, I'm going to, it's all based on the foyer. So put the couch in the foyer, put the bed in the foyer, put the washer and dryer over here in the foyer, put everything in the foyer because it's only here and now. And if I'm not happy here and now, I don't want the rest of the house. And the Apostle Paul says, you can have the foyer. I want the whole house. And Paul says, I don't consider this momentary affliction, foyer, anything to be compared to the eternal weight of glory, house, that is prepared for me. But we get stuck. We get stuck in the foyer and we just don't move any further with God. Because we're, we have things that are happening in lives that we're not happy about. Paul lives inside out. He doesn't let his circumstances determine the quality of his life. Um, that's why he uses, in, the, in his epistles, he uses the word mind and attitude a lot. Paul's a thinker. So if you're a thinking kind of person, not a feeler, if you want a feeler uh, epistle, go to something John wrote. But if, you want a, if you're a thinker kind of person, Paul is the thinker guy. And he uses the word mind an attitude more than anyone, all the other epistle writers. He's really into what's going on in your mind and what's your attitude. He uses that word 25 times in his epistles. But you know what's interesting? Almost half of the times he uses that word, it's right in the book of Philippians. You know why? It's because when you're going through hard times, what's going on in your head is really important. How you're thinking about your bad times, the disappointments, the unhappiness that you're encountering. This is really when you got to have your thoughts straight. And so he's telling them, joy, think, joy, think, rejoice, think, rejoice, think. He's constantly trying to pair up the idea of thinking and joy and attitude together. Because if you don't have it, you lose life. You begin looking externally. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to learn more and more about this, and, and I'm going to learn a lot more about this. Um, um, I want to tell you a story about the power of this thinking joy, this assurance in God that, that Paul had. And this story is from another man who had real challenge in his life. 
In a few minutes, we're going to have communion. And, and as we go into expressions, we're going to sing a song that we normally don't sing here at Crosstown. But I think it really touches this attitude that, that Paul had and that a lot of us so desperately need. There's a song, a classic song, is called It Is Well With My Soul. You've probably heard it someplace, or maybe you were attending a, a funeral or someplace where maybe you've heard this song. But there's a story about how this beautiful classical song came to be. The man's name was Horatio Sapford. And he was a Chicago-based attorney, and he was an investor in the 1870s. He was a wealthy man. He was a, he was a very successful young man. But unfortunately, as a, as a young father, he lost his newborn son to scarlet fever. And that tremendously impacted his life. And a year later, the great Chicago fires occurred, and they wiped out all of his investments. So he was poor in just a matter of a week. A friend of his named D.L. Moody, invited him to come on over to England and to visit for a while just to bring his wife and his four kids over and just to kind of recover from the loss of his son and the loss of uh, his fortune. So his wife and his four daughters prepared to embark on an ocean journey across to Europe that took a couple of weeks. At the last moment, a business opportunity kept him from going, so he sent his family ahead and his plan was to join them later. But while his wife and daughters were halfway across the Atlantic Ocean, their ship was struck by another ship. And in just two minutes, it sank to the bottom. After his wife was rescued and she could get to Liverpool, England, she cabled him and she sent this short message, saved alone. His four daughters were lost. Devastated, he boarded a ship to join his wife. And as he was traveling on his ship, the captain of the ship called him to his cabin to let him know that their ship was about to pass over that patch of water where his daughters were laid to rest hundreds of feet beneath the ocean. The captain stopped the ship there. And it was then that the words to this famous hymn were born. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. This is not a story that ends in unhappiness. I don't know if happiness ever returns to this man's life. You could say, well, what if he had more kids? More kids don't replace kids. 
I don't know if he finished out his life and he experienced the happiness of wealth again. But I do know that the story continued with the joy of assurance. And so many of us, in theory, have God, but in heart, we don't live inside out. And when we're challenged by sickness or loss or the calamity of society or even the visitation of unhappiness, we are so disrupted inside. We lose hope. And today, God wants you to know it can be well with your soul. That God wants to show you through his spirit the eternal weight of glory that he has got stored up for you in Christ if we're willing to move beyond the foyer of happiness. Has happiness failed you? Well, I'm here to tell you, there was no doubt it would. Did you think it wouldn't? Happiness always fails. We grow old, we grow tired, and this is, you say, well, Paul, I came here today to get some positive news. Well, I got some positive news. I am positive that your life may not be as happy as you thought it was going to be. I am positive you will be challenged. I, will po I am positive that one day your heart will be exposed to find out what's in it. Does it look to the external world to make it happy? Or is it filled with an inside-out faith that you can say, it is well with my soul because he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete that work that he has started. Father, we enter into your presence. We enter into this place. And no matter what seas we are traveling today, we can have confidence in you. We can take heart, like the Apostle Paul said. We choose today to not look on the external world, but rather on the promises of God that are yes and amen. Father, to those of us who are weak of faith, I pray for us that you would strengthen our faith. Give us eyes and Open the eyes of our understanding that we may know what is the depth and the breadth and the width and the height of all the promises of God that are ours from Christ Jesus. Help us to see the beautiful work you are doing in our lives and that you are faithful to it. So as we take the bread, as we dip it into the cup, that you have paved the way that we can experience joy in our lives. Fill us with your spirit of hope today. We thank you, Lord.